From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. Probably our last. Uh, What's so funny? What, what are we consist- laughing about? It just feels weird that I, I'm laughing because I'm just like, wow, I've been doing this all year, uh, this mm. up, the, this every single week, and I'm realizing this is probably our last consistent episode in a while. It, it's kind of amazing just to yeah. to think about that. And when you look at it, this is 2018 episode 45. It, it's been uh, pretty right. consistently because we're at December 10th right now. We're recording on Monday, everybody. And if we went to a two-week timetable during the off-season, we're not releasing a show the day before Christmas. Sorry, listeners, you don't get that Christmas present. And we need a break, so we're not recording next (laughs) week. So yeah, this is probably our last show of 2018. But I'm glad to be here, Jamie. We're in what's become our second studio right now (laughs) with our third host, Pork Chop. And it's going to be good to reflect on not only the season with you, but um, a game where there's a lot of talking points, I think. Yeah, Uh, obviously the Timbers fell to Atlanta United 2-0 in the 2018 MLS Cup. Uh, This has been a crazy run, um, obviously, for the team, and I think for us covering it as well. I'm still exhausted, so hopefully we can coherently uh, get through this podcast. But um, if we want to start with predictions, I I mostly just feel bad about how close I was on this. Yeah, uh, 2-1 was the result that you picked Atlanta over the Timbers. I think you probably got the spirit of the game because – you know, last week I was like saying, okay, well, you don't get many points for this because you were close on the score, but you didn't really get the spirit of the game. I think it's the other way around here where you didn't get the score exactly right. But the nature of the game, the tight nature of the game, I think you deserve more points than a near miss. I mean, you were really, really close. And in fact, the Timbers were really close to getting a goal at a couple of points. So you're doing points this week. I hope you're not hard on yourself because you deserve a decent score. Oh, man, I, I kind of want to know what you, you were thinking of giving me now. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to type it on my computer really quick, and then I will show it to you after you give yourself the score, because I don't want to influence the judges, and I don't want to be accused of just uh, piggybacking a little bit. So go ahead and give yourself, give yourself the points, and I'll show you my computer screen. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to just give myself 19 points. Uh, okay. It's, uh, I think I, I had the spirit of the game. I didn't get it. The Timbers didn't score. I, I think it was a little bit more lopsided than I was thinking. Um, and I, I don't think the score line was particularly uh, surprising. But um, maybe also because the, the excitement of getting a win versus a loss and, and watching players celebrate in the locker room versus uh, having to cover a, a team that's um, – pretty upset Make, makes me just feel oh, a little this, bad about the scoreline in general that's right this is the first time you've had to go into the cup losers locker room isn't it it is because <laughs> i've only covered two cups so. yeah this this was always my old uh role at other places because yeah. when i first got national jobs i was always the number two guy so farley gets the losers locker room <laughs> so yeah no i mean maybe if i uh yeah if i'd done this more often it would be uh you know, normal. It, it was a very different, uh, you know, covering 2015 and covering yeah, of course. Uh, 2018 um, is what it is. But what, what would it, what, how many points should I have given myself? You should have given yourself. Oh, man. You gave me way more. How points. many did I give? You can tell the world. <laughs> 33.9. Yeah. So whoever's putting this together can decide which point total they No, they got to go with yours. I was encouraging you. I was telling you beforehand, you got to give yourself some credit. And maybe I was overcompensating from last week. But last week, I truly believe that you probably didn't deserve as many points because the spirit of the game wasn't there. You got the spirit of the game right here. You had the vision in your mind beforehand. And I thought you should have been more generous with yourself. We can just get this out of the way. I was swinging for the fences. I said Chara has more, Chara has more goals plus assists than yellow cards. Uh, no, he had a yellow card. He didn't have either a goal or assist. So we can put Put that to bed. Going to reviewing the game, let's just start with general impressions, Jamie. Uh, you talked about it a little bit when reviewing your prediction, but give us a little bit more of a sense of what you saw on Saturday. Yeah, I think it was pretty clear that Atlanta was the better team, uh, and, and they have been all season. I, I mean, the Timbers had a magical run, and they got to this point, and they were playing really well, and they were playing with confidence, but Atlanta has been the better team all year. I don't think Atlanta 
was as good as we've seen them this year. And maybe that's a credit to the Timbers that you look at the number of shots they got. They only got nine shots. None of the goals they scored was particularly because of just the individual talent they had in the attack. I think that was a big worry. If you were on the Timbers side coming in, that, that players like Martinez and Almiron would just be too much for the club to maybe stop. Um, I, I don't think that's why Atlanta won necessarily. Martinez had a goal and an assist, but uh, and I think Almiron has an assist as well. But I, I don't think that really... I don't think you look at that and say the, just their individual talent was what was the difference in the game. But but I did feel like the Timbers were outplayed. I, I do think that there was moments on the goals that really shifted the game. Um, had the Timbers got you know into the locker room at halftime at 0-0, maybe things would have changed. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was tough. Uh, it was a tough night and a, and a tough venue for the Timbers. And um Obviously, once that second goal happened, it, it pretty much fell over. Yeah, I, I guess the only thing about that that I really want to focus in on first is the idea that Atlanta didn't play one of their best games. I thought they played really well. I mean, you go through those players, player for player, you're not going to find very many players that had bad games. I think the Timbers made it difficult on the other team. The tactics they employed were designed to make it difficult on the other team. And I thought Atlanta had to have a very good performance just to keep the Timbers from having opportunities to come back at them. When you go player for player, obviously Joseph Martinez had a goal and an assist. Miguel Amaron got on the ball a lot. I thought Darlington Nabby was um, connecting well through the middle. People who don't follow Atlanta a lot probably got to see how good Julian Gressel is, uh, Franco Escobar, et cetera, et cetera. You can go down the list, and Brad Guzon had to make a very, very important save at the end of the first half. I I definitely agree. Atlanta were the better team, and they got the deserved win, but you go back through tape of teams playing in Atlanta. There aren't very many teams that play better than the Timbers did. I think that's part one of the reasons they have to be proud. I mean, Atlanta is a very good team. Uh, they make bo- dogs bark. They <laughs> they make people take notice of what they do. And um, yeah, I don't think there's any shame in saying Portland was second best or not mm-hmm. good enough that day because Atlanta earned home field. They played a really good game and they are deserved champions in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's a fair point. I don't think what I was saying necessarily is that Atlanta had a terrible game by any means, but, but I did think the Timbers did a good job in some areas in, in limiting that attack from, from just sort of taking off like it, it has in, in some of their games this year. Um, to look at, obviously there's a few different ways to look at this, but, um, I guess to, to start with more generally, I, I mean, the Timbers conceded the two goals and, and we both, you know, sort of have said that, that we think Atlanta was the better team on the night. But w- what do you think, um, what went wrong exactly for the Timbers? Well, I mean, not to repeat myself, but I think part of what went wrong, what went wrong is they were playing a very good team. Um, and yeah, there were definitely some points of execution that could have been better, you know, connecting passes coming out of their own end. We saw even in the first half where I think people generally saw that Atlanta had control of play. And when you lose the ball against Atlanta, because they play Gressel and Nagby so high and they have their wing back so high, if you don't connect that first, those first couple passes out of the back, um, you're going to be in trouble. But it's also very difficult to connect those first couple of passes out of the back. So I think the main thing for me is probably... You know, you look at the first goal, Parkers comes in, makes a great play, but that ball, how many times does it just end up in a 50-50 between two mm-hmm. players then leads to a goal? So I'm not even going to say the Timbers could have done more there, but as much as the team was upset about the call on Luis Maviala, the set-piece defending on that goal was not something we usually see from the Timbers. So um, Giovanni Savarese, Diego Valeri clearly want to point to that call as a turning point, but if the defending had been better in that moment, we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Do you think that they have a point there in terms of looking specifically at that call and saying it was wrong? And in general, um, so I've actually criticized. I've never heard him criticize the referee as much as he did after this game. Yeah, I mean, he's criticized officials before, but he's kind of moved on from it quickly. I, I definitely want to hear your view of this, but I've watched the play a number of times. I think it's a foul in most games. In that game, Alan Kelly had been letting things go. Alan Kelly had been tight with the cards. Alan Kelly had been wanting players to play through contact a lot. And it wasn't just for the Timbers. It was for Atlanta, too. I mean, by the time they reached halftime, both Jeff Laurentwins and Larry Maviala could have had, I'm um, sorry, Liam Ridgewell could have had calls. We have a disputed call on Larry Maviala that some people thought should have been a penalty kick. Uh, the type of fouls that we sometimes see Diego Chara get whistled for, where he kind of puts his body into somebody and takes them off the ball, they weren't being called. So... Come that point in the match, 
when the Timbers had had control of the second half and then all of a sudden you make a tight call, that's what I have a problem with. Now, people who also listen to Talk Timbers know that I'm very much like, hey, if you don't want it to be called, don't commit a foul. And in that case, Larice went through, the, went through Joseph Martinez's back, in my opinion. The problem is, and it's a player's cliche, just, just be consistent. If you're calling that in the first half, maybe Larissa Maviala doesn't take the chance there. So that I think that's where if I were a coach or a player, I'd be upset with it. What was your interpretation? Yeah, I, I can see that perspective. I, I I think it was a foul, and, and I don't think it was all that close. I, I think Mobial went through through Martinez. I think that Martinez sort of you know he embellished slowed, it. A I think little he bit. slowed up to to create yeah, contact. Yeah, I, I is, think he embellished. Yeah. It. I think he slowed up to create contact, maybe a little bit. But I think ultimately Mobial goes through him. He has a high boot um, in, in potentially a dangerous area. He gets the ball, but I, I think since he ends up then going through him and, and just completely taking him out. I, that's a foul. It's not I, a card, but I, it's a foul. And um, I, I don't think the Timbers have a ton to complain on there. I, I don't know that they mentioned this specifically, but obviously it came up. I also don't think Parkhurst's tackle on Abobasi was a foul because it was a 50-50 ball, and he didn't really well, go through. That one um, was actually dangerous, and credit to Michael Parkhurst for executing in a way that wasn't dangerous. But if we lived in a world where you were never allowed to potentially slide through a guy when his back is to you, I would be fine with that because that is the type of play that players screw up all the time and players get hurt. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a fair point, but I, I think the way he executed he didn't really go through a Boba C and it was a 50-50 ball. I, I think in the way we see the game mm-hmm. generally um, officiated, I don't think that was a foul either. So Agreed. I think the the two big plays that led to the goals, uh, and then you can talk about the Timbers defending, I, I, I think it was called the right way. Um, there might be a complaint yeah. for the consistency not being there for mm-hmm. the entire game, but I don't really think there was much of an argument on that side. And obviously those goals changed the game, but... Um, like we've said, I, I think Atlanta was the better team overall. Yeah, I, I look. I think the first one was a dangerous play. That I, I agree. We don't see that called enough for somebody to go. That should have been called. Like I said, if we lived in a world where it was called, I think the game would be a safer place. Uh, the second one, you know, like I said, I, and I don't want to keep repeating myself. I do think by the rules that is a foul. But we also live in a world where the rules change every single game as far as the degree to which people want to enforce them. And Alan Kelly, through that point in the match, had refereed it like a cup final. I don't personally like it when referees do that. I want them to call it by the rules. I want to live in a world where the letters on a page mean something. But every single sport, officials seem to want to, when the stakes are highest, let the players decide it. So if you're telling me Giovanni Savarese, Diego Valeri, other players have a problem with Alan Kelly all of a sudden not letting the players decide it, I'm going to go, yeah, absolutely. But by the rules, it was a foul. So let, do you want to go to some questions here really quick? Because we can go back to the important points uh, that we think we haven't talked about. But I think the listeners maybe want to know uh, some of the things that they think are important or know about them. Uh, let's, talk to, let's talk about Michael's question. Michael said, poor passing limited the Timbers' chances against Atlanta. But this is hardly the first time in 2018. Why was it a problem? And do the Timbers have to do something to address it? Yeah, I, I I think that you sort of touched on it a little bit. The the passing wasn't always there for the Timbers. I I, I think there was times that they conceded the ball when when they didn't want to. Obviously, they were sloppy in moments, but um, I, I think part of that speaks to the way Atlanta plays. Uh, and I don't think it's just a issue with the Timbers passing. No, I, I think the Timbers have had a fair amount of inconsistency this year. We we talked about the season and it sort of went in waves, you know, the first five games, really the first two games and not being good enough, 15 game on bean streak, probably not that long. Was it, was it really great form, but a pretty good stretch of that good form. And then a, a poor stretch in August and September. And, and I, I think when they've had worse games, the passing hasn't been good enough. I, I don't think it's necessarily an issue that needs to be addressed. I don't see this as a major problem for the Timbers. I, I think Atlanta did well at making things more difficult for the Timbers. I, I think that's probably what happened there. And I, I think the Timbers have just had some poor games this year, but they have some great passers. I mean, we talk about Diego Char all the time. Um, I, I don't think this is a major concern for them. Uh, I, I do think one thing they'll want next year is just being a little bit more consistent and maybe just some degree having a second year coach versus first year coach will benefit them. Yeah, I think both Diego Valeri and Davi Guzman are always going to err on one side of the risk reward spectrum that maybe some people stylistically aren't going to want. 
maybe they're used to Darlington Nagby uh, efficiency through there. Uh, and maybe being a fan of the team that usually has a Trot and a Nagby in there, you have certain expectations. But the Timbers were also very dangerous on this counterattack this year by taking those kind of chances. And um, it, sometimes during the Caleb Porter, even though they have some very memorable counterattacks in the past under Caleb Porter, sometimes the team would pull up a little bit and play the safe ball. Uh, I think this is probably the main criticism of Darlington Nagby, that sometimes he will err on the opposite side of that spectrum. So... I really agree with everything that you said. It's it's a stylistic thing. I don't think it's a problem. But yeah, sometimes when you have a bad game, that's probably going to be the cause of it. Uh, let's go to Tim. Tim, how did Atlanta limit Portland's counterattack? So first of all, I'm glad we went to listener questions because they are hitting all the big <laughs> issues here. But yeah, Portland clearly didn't didn't become really effective on the counter until maybe a point in the game where uh, the game looked like it was definitely in United's hands. So how did United do that? Yeah, I mean, I think part of that was um, the passing. I mean, as we talked about it, I mean, that's related to it. I, I think the Timbers didn't do a good enough job when they were trying to go on the counter. Of, of I can think of a few instances where they they ended up turning over the ball instead of being able to really turn um, their possession into a counterattack like they like to do. I, I think Atlanta had a really good defensive game. Um, I mean, we look at, we talked about, you know, the tackle Michael Parker's made and how he was able to make it and prevent the foul and ultimately turn it into probably not saying he expected on there, but turn it into a goal. Um, but I, I think Atlanta, they're known for their attack. They have a good defense too. Um, and I think defensively they were, they were very good. I talked about this a little bit in the articles before the game, but they're back four. There are three center backs and Eric Remedy in front of them. They rarely get forward. If you go back and look at the tape of that game, there are very few times, even during the buildup phase, where Remedy is getting at the same level as Darlington Nagby and Julian Gressel. So when another team is coming at them, not only are they coming at a team that is set in numbers, but they're, they're in the middle of the field. So if you are going to counterattack, the times that we kind of saw that, that Portland was able to make progress, it's when Jorge Villafania was able to get forward and provide that on the left. But even then, you've just got a ball wide, and now you've got to win a battle in the middle as Villafania is going to cross the ball in. I think early in the game, we saw something that I thought was interesting when Greg Garza, the left wing back for Atlanta, and Franco Escobar, the right wing back for uh, Atlanta, they were getting forward earlier than I'm used to seeing them get forward. Well, when Portland won the ball, Villafania and Valentin got on the other side of them and made them pay, try to make them pay a little bit for that. And I think what you said, we just have to come back to, at some point, you got to give Atlanta credit just for being a good team. Like the solutions you come up with, when you have smart players like Jeff Laurentowitz, who's going to jump into midfield and you have Parker's back there to, to adjust, it's going to work. Or when Parker's jumps into midfield and you have Laurentowitz back there, it's going to work. So, yeah, Portland, Portland didn't look so great against a really good team sometimes, I think. Uh, let's go to one final question here, a more general question. Uh, Savarese criticized the... Um, if, oh, we already Yeah, we already talked question. about that. Yeah, way to read ahead, Richard. Um, <laughs> so other, other things from the game that I have noticed is that a lot of people just basically criticized the Timbers' approach in this game, not playing very aggressively at first, not looking like they wanted to take the game to the opponent. And in the first half, it, it kind of did feel like Kansas City all over again a little bit, like the Timbers were absorbing pressure a little bit and I guess from a certain point of view, not able to play their game. To what extent do you agree with that criticism? I don't know. I, I didn't feel like that was necessarily a bad approach. I, I sort of expected the Timbers to, to some degree absorb pressure in this game um, and, and try to hit Atlanta on the counterattack. That's something they've been really good at this year, and, and they knew that Atlanta was going to be a dangerous attacking team that didn't, didn't necessarily... Um, Atlanta has been pretty good on the counter too. And so tr sort of letting them have, trying to make them have more possession wasn't necessarily a bad game plan for the Timbers. Um, that way they're sort of forcing Atlanta to dictate the game that way, but they're not in situations where the Atlanta is using their speed on the counter attack to put them in positions where they're out of position. Um, I didn't mind the game plan. I, I didn't think the Timbers should come in there and try to dictate the tempo and, and, and try to uh, just be on the front foot from the get-go. I, I think they had they done that, Atlanta would have probably punished them on the counterattack. Uh, I, I just don't think things worked out as well as the Tippers wanted, and, and you can always criticize the approach when you lose a game. Yeah, I, I have nothing to add to that. I think I think there's always going to be a, a, a level of criticism out in the soccer world. In this transcends Portland, this transcends, transcends MLS, transcends any specific league, that if soccer isn't played a certain way, that people are going to criticize that. I think you and I have probably dealt with that within Timbers' internal fandom this year as the team's style has 
uh, diversified. And a lot of times during the season, this team has played on the counterattack. I think they were had like only they only ranked like nineteenth in time of possession this year. Uh, but at the same time, I think that is just a learning moment for all of us to learn a lot more about Giovanni Savarese and also for people who want every team to play like Barcelona to learn that that isn't the only way in the world to play soccer. All right, let's get back to uh, the outline here, so to speak. Uh, we see that there's a gap between Atlanta and the Timbers, Atlanta and the rest of Major League Soccer at this point. Can the Timbers transcend that gap? And if so, how do they do it, Jamie Goldberg? Yeah, I, I think Atlanta really is the team that, that stands out there. There there are other teams that I, I think have a lot of talent and maybe are just on talent alone. You know, it's a different level than maybe where the Timbers are right now. But Atlanta, I, I think, like you said, throughout MLS sort of stands above um, mm. uh, on just sort of the talented players that they have it, um, on their team right now. I don't think it's impossible. I mean, you look at the players that Atlanta had. They didn't go for the priciest European stars. They they didn't try to sli- sign Zlatan and bring him in. They brought in really, really good um, Latin American players that are in their prime. And, and I think the Timbers have tried to do that. I, I think that they maybe haven't always signed play. They haven't dropped as much money as Atlanta has to in order to get players that are already established um, that sort of fit that. Um, I, let me rephrase that. They all, the Timbers have found players that are established. They haven't gone and spent the money that Atlanta has needed to spend in order to get some of the players they've been able to get and, and get some of that talent. Um, but I think in terms of the model that the Timbers have, the types of players they go after, I do think there are some similarities to what Atlanta's doing. Ultimately, the Timbers are going to have to spend, I, I, I think, more money. I, I think Atlanta's just spent what they've needed to spend. I, I do think that sort of model, the Timbers have a better opportunity if they do spend the money to compete with a team uh, like Atlanta than they do with trying to bring in aging European stars simply because I, I think it might be a little bit more likely that people might want to come to Portland. But Portland is a mid-market team, and that always does play into it. I mean, that is why they haven't had big-name stars um, because those players usually do want to go to places like L.A., New York. Um, but I, I think there is some things that the Timbers can learn from Atlanta. Um, and ultimately, I, I think it is going to come down to some degree just spending more and more money. Okay, let me go Socratic on you here. And I'm intentionally going to try to be biased here for anybody who wonders about like, me <laughs> trying to avoid bias. I'm, try, I'm going to try to be biased to tease something out of you based on what you just said. So would you agree that Atlanta's home field played a factor in how Saturday's game played out? Yeah, I, I think home field advantage is huge in MLS. Okay. How much of a factor? I mean, we're not necessarily saying that Atlanta would have lost if it was neutral ground or at Providence Park, but it played some factor in there. Uh, do you think Atlanta having a second year under Gerardo Martino played a factor in their playoff run? Yeah, sure. Okay. So if we were to move this game from Mercedes-Benz Stadium to a neutral site, do you think Portland would have had a better chance of winning? Yes. And if they had played at Providence Park? Yes. How far, so how far are the teams apart if Giovanni Savarese has a second year? And let's not, even go, let's not even bring Providence Park into it. If Giovanni Savarese has a second year and they're playing in a neutral ground, how many times out of 10 do you think Portland wins that game? It's a must-win game. So we're going under that assumption. We're taking ties out of it. Mm-hmm. I still think Atlanta wins six or seven times out of 10. Okay, but even then, that's almost close to 50-50. Or maybe you're... Maybe Probably you're say, closer to seven. Okay, let's say... Look, how many other teams do you think come closer in MLS than Portland would have? I don't think that... Yeah, I, I don't think that a lot of other teams would necessarily come closer. But yeah. if the Timbers want to be a team competing for championships, I, that's kind of the mark they have to look at. They're already sort competing of, for championships. Yes, but I, it's sort of how the thorns coming out of the, the season, we said, you, they have to see how they can compete with North Carolina. I, I mean, that, that has to be the mark they're aiming for. How, how are the thorns going to compete with North Carolina next year? That's, Not how are they just going to compete with the rest of the league. The Timbers have lofty goals. They are clearly competing for championships, but no, they, that, wa- that, they should want to be on a level where they can say, yes, we can compete with Atlanta. And, and while the Timbers, yeah, got it, have gotten a few ties against Atlanta, Atlanta's a better team. And, but and I don't, but I, that's a good example with North Carolina. Do you think North Carolina next year is going to be as good as they were this year? Well, I mean, the, 
there's a lot of questions there just because the World Cup and everything. But well, no, just like they're the. Do you think the the no, version I, of North Carolina that we're going to see at the end of the year is going to be um, as good? Because I don't think so. Yeah, I, I mean, I it's mean, really rare that you see a team click like that, and the same thing with Atlanta at this point. Yeah. So what is the bar necessarily what we saw on Saturday, or is it just beer, or is the bar to put yourself in position to be able to compete come the end of the season? I, I mean, I, I think that obviously Atlanta won't be as good next year. They're going to lose. They're going to have some turnover. They're going to lose their coach. They're going to lose all on their own. I, I mean, they're clearly going to be a different team next year, and we don't know at all if they're going to click. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think when you see a gap, there is you, that's something you want to address, um, even if you're but, not but as my question, Why I'm questioning you is we can't, the team can't address the gap for 2018. Well, all they can do is address what the gap will be between Atlanta or a Kansas City or another team that's going to be good in 2019. The Sounders are going to be better. Yeah. So when you look at the Timbers and you see, okay, Valeri, Chura, how long can they really hold on? Polo's going to get better. Obobese is going to get better. There are other players within this team that are going to get better. Uh, so when we're sitting here going, what, does, what do the Timbers have to do to compete with Atlanta? Well, one, we don't know that Atlanta's the bar. Two, we don't know that the gap is really that big. But if we want to ask what the Timbers have to do to compete with a 2018 Atlanta, that's probably a different question. Maybe there's nothing they reasonably can do, or maybe they have to get that ambitious. But I, my, whole point, my whole thing here is that the gap between Atlanta and Portland is just not that big. On Saturday, it, looked, it was decisively big, but... We were playing in Atlanta. Atlanta earned the right to play there. Next season, Giovanna Savarese is going to have a whole season of experience in squad building next year. The Timbers will be in a better position to potentially earn home field advantage come a cup final. So I just don't think that the gap between the teams is that big. I think the Timbers are at least one big signing away um, from being more on par with that, with that gap or being able to close that gap to a degree where I, I can sort of agree with that. Um, I, I think the Timbers were maybe missing a little. I mean, I, I think that they were missing another big signing to maybe just be in that position where you say, yeah, they, they're right on par with Atlanta. Yeah, um, maybe. I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I think even if you go through my scenarios, neutral field, Atlanta probably wins five times. Portland wins three. They're two draws. If you're at Providence Park, Maybe Portland's a slight favorite in that scenario, yeah. but if if you want to if you want to play MLS Cup at home, you got to be better during the regular season. But I think I think a lot of teams are going to be in the mix next year. And I heard a radio interview today that said it would be crazy for people not to consider Atlanta favorites next year. No, I think it's pretty crazy to pick them as favorites if Martinez and Almiron go, because yeah. they are in the same situation that the Timbers were this year, where they had lost Arlington Nagby. They eventually lost Fernando Adi, and they're changing coaches. Atlanta could, might have to take four or five months next year to discover themselves, find themselves on the road in a cup final, sitting there going, if we only had home field advantage, we could have won this game. Wow, I almost talked myself into that. That was great. All right, going back to my unbiased point of view, let's move on to the news of the day. We are recording it Monday, as we said, and there have been a lot of roster yeah. <laughs> news. Let's go through the main piece of news, which is um, options who's going to come back, who's available for free agency. Are They're out there. The Timbers declined their contract options on Victor Arboleda. No surprise. Thomas Konechny, maybe a little bit of surprise because people maybe he's in a very interesting situation with his loan right now from South America. But he we remains could, in discussions. Right, exactly. So right now, uh, the, t- the two teams in this uh, deal, San Lorenzo and uh, the Timbers, are trying to negotiate a way for Thomas Konechny to stay here. Uh, Andres Flores, that's maybe a little bit of a surprise because I think a lot of people think Andres is a geo guy. And then Lawrence Alum, who, you know, in Major League Soccer, this happens. Uh Steve Clark, Jake Gleason, Roy Miller, Jack Barnby, also out of contract. Miller, Gleason are free agents. All right, your initial reactions to this. Tell me what you thought when you saw that list. Yeah, um, and then just to add that the that Flores and Clark are also still in negotiations for 2019. So um, those three, Konechny, Flores, and Clark, we could still see them Well, back. according to the team, but how much do you believe them? <laughs> okay, go ahead. I do believe if that If anybody one. didn't get the irony in that statement... Go ahead, Jay. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think any of these really surprised me. I, I could, 
Flores and Olam, I, I could see them coming back, but the, but the Timbers are also adding, um, you know, they've already, they already today, I think we'll mention this as well, but they already signed Loria and Zambrano. They, they clearly are already making additions and, and making decisions about depth and, and, it just is a matter of whether they have room for, for these players at this point and whether or whether or not they think they can get better depth or, or already have players that sort of fit those roles. Um, I, I think that's sort of what you get with Flores. I, when you're adding, when you're already adding some more players, does he really fit on the contract number he's in? Can they bring him back for a, a different sort of contract, even though he's Geo's guy, as you might want to say, or a guy that Geo's known for a while? Well, at least he's perceived as a Geo guy. Yeah, you still have to. And I think the Timbers have been happy with his performance, but whatever the there, contract yeah. number is and whatever the situation is, I, I think well, clearly there isn't something that they feel like they need to negotiate there if they're going to bring him back. Yeah, I mean, Andres isn't an expensive player, but when you have a team that has Renzo Zambrano yeah. and uh, Christian Paredes, how many roster spots are you going to devote to people that fit a similar profile? Yeah. So it might be the situation that the mechanics of the offseason might open up another one of those spots or doesn't open up another one of those spots. But I think what complicates matters a little bit is that Andres Flores proved this year that he's an MLS player. Has he proven he's an MLS starter? No. Has he proven he's somebody that can be a valuable contributor coming in, uh, off your bench and start 12, 15 games a year in various spots? Yeah, I think so. Because if he can do that in Portland, where there's a really good degree of depth on this team he can do it other places too so that might be the biggest problem here is that now even if the club wants to bring him back well he's he there's gonna be competition for his Mm -hmm. services um that being said he's hasn't qualified for free agency so uh, (laughs) we'll see how that works out um but other news with the team the team exercised their options on Kendall McIntosh. So with the other news, he's currently number two on the depth chart until the Steve Clark negotiations play out. Uh, Modu Jadama, who a lot of people listen to this show probably haven't seen yet, but he's still a very promising defender or else he wouldn't have had his option exercised. Uh, Bill Tuiloma, Jeremy Obobese, and Foster Langsdorf all had their options exercised as well. Uh, let's talk about somebody who hasn't had their option exercised. He was out of contract. He was lined up to be a free agent. That's Zarek Valentin. That free agency is not going to happen. Zarek Valentin has resigned. Uh, Zarek Valentin has become a fan favorite, possibly beyond the Diego's, the fan favorite in this team. Maybe you could put Seba above him too, but he's clearly somebody that's made a huge connection with this community. So what are you seeing from the reaction to Zarek Valentin signing? And probably most importantly, because I want to know your opinion on this, do you think it was a good move to secure Zarek Valentin? Yeah, I mean, I think the reaction has been positive. I I think it was definitely a good move to secure Zarek Valentin. I, I think he is a great option to have. They can play multiple positions on the back line, mostly on the, on the outside back um, position. He's a veteran. He he brings that experience, uh, and clearly he's a good guy to have in the locker room and in the community. I still think that the Timbers need to look at their right back situation, and maybe that's a position they continue to improve in. I don't well, necessarily think they have Valentina Alvis Powell there. How greedy are you? Yeah. So well, uh, I, I think Powell's still under contract. I still, I, I, if I remember correctly, I didn't. Yes, he on here. Um, We'll see it, what the future for Alvis Powell looks for this team. Ooh, um, I what are still, you hearing, Jamie Goldberg? <laughs> stop assuming I hear everything. These are just ideas. Hearing that, that dot, dot, I, dot. I still, I still don't know exactly what the team wants to do with Alvis Powell in the long run. Obviously, he's under contract, but that's a guy that if they want to make a trade or something like that, it could be he'd be good value. And he had lost his starting role by the end of this year. I, I think that's a position they can still improve on. I would preferably really? like to see Zarek Valentin as their third outside back, not as the go-to yeah, starter going maybe. to next year. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you look around MLS, like Zarek Valentin this year definitely ranked in the top half of starting fullbacks, I think. Now, the bigger question is whether you would expect that performance going forward because given his track record – I think it's a reasonable question because this is the first year that he's really played at that level, I think. Now, granted, that's a little bit unfair because it was the first year since his first year in the league that he's had a full-time starting job. But as far as as far as far upgrading the depth chart, I don't know. It's, I, I mean, it's, it seems a little greedy. <laughs> maybe it is. I, I mean, you can only do so much in an offseason. Right. And I think if they go in next year and it's Valentin and Pal and then Jorge Villafani on the left side and Marco Farfan behind that... It's not a bad situation for That's them to be That's a great situation. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad situation for them to be in. I still think that that's a place that they could potentially look at it if they have the Whoa, resources baby. and the options there. Whoa, baby. These are some high standards. This is apparently Zarek Valentin gets like a Goldberg 12. This is amazing. <laughs> I did not say, he no, had you did a not really say good, that. He had a really good you year. You did not say that. I, 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think we're getting into another discussion as to where the Timbers priorities should lie, how they should use their roster resources. I think uh, I think this is a good choice, especially given the fact that uh, everybody knows how popular Zarek Valentin is uh, with the fan base, even within the team. But that popularity transcends just being a affable, nice guy. He has actually become a leader within the team. Yeah. Not a Diego Chara, Liam Ridgewell, Diego Valeri type of leader, but he has a leadership role in the team. And he has a leadership role on the field, too. Uh, he, part of the reason that he has become the starting right back is the the value he has in communication back there. And normally people associate that only with Liam Ridgewell and Liam Ridgewell is a dominant presence back there, but Zarek Valentin's contributions matter in that regard. So And he speaks Spanish. He does speak Spanish, I've heard. I don't know. <laughs> uh Anybody else on the options picked up list that either surprised you or didn't surprise you? Well, I don't want to know about the ones that didn't surprise <laughs> you, but I mean, the list is pretty straightforward. I think. Yeah, you know, I'm not surprised by any of this. Yeah, I think there are a couple people here between McIntosh, Jadama, Langsdorf, who have yet to make a, a big impact on the first team, but I think anybody who's followed T2 would suspect that the club wants to be involved in those players' futures. One person who didn't have his option picked up is somebody that didn't technically have a contract option, but he did have an option to buy, and that's Samuel Armenteros, whose loan will expire at the end of this month. He will return to his club in Italy. Good decision, bad decision. I get the feeling this is going to be a short discussion. Yeah, it- if if the Timbers had done anything else, I would have been shocked. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's unfortunate. I, I, like we talked about last week, so let's not get too much into it. We, I don't really know what sort of happened to lead to this drop-off um, for Sam uh, Samuel Monteros. But after scoring those eight goals in 12 games, he, he just wasn't at the same level. And, and clearly, towards the end of the year, he wasn't even competing for a spot. It, he's not worth the resources it's unfortunate, but that it just didn't pan out. Yep, this happens in the soccer world sometimes. You get off to a good start, fade a little bit, the fit doesn't seem right anymore, and you move on. Uh, Sam was a really well-liked guy in the team, and he's going to be missed. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think this was a tough decision for Gavin Wilkinson and Giovanni Savarese. Uh, going to a couple other decisions that didn't have to be made, but I think there's been a lot of conversation amongst Timbers fans about. Liam Ridgewell, Lucas Milano, both under contract, both on the roster, both going to have questions about their... Uh, spots until preseason starts. Uh, I think a lot of people look at it as um, Ridge, Liam Ridgewell obviously lost his place in the starting lineup for some time this year. Uh, people for years have been commenting as to whether his uh, former DP contract, now TAM level contract, is a good good uh, use of resources given his fitness concerns. And then Lucas Milano was a designated player this year. It remains to be seen, depending on what happens, whether he will be a designated player going forward. Yeah, uh, but what, from what I've heard, the assumption is that he won't be next year. Whatever mechanisms it's going to trigger for that to happen, I, yeah. I don't think the Timbers are remotely looking at him as... Yeah, and there are a number of mechanisms that would uh, have him not... Let's put it like this. There is nothing keeping the Timbers from going out and signing another designated player and keeping Lucas Milano next year as a non-designated yeah. player. Uh, so... Question to you, uh, do you think both players will come back? I, I honestly don't know. I see scenarios where they will and they won't. I Yeah, I, I think they're both up in the air. I, I, I think Milano, if the number's right and the spot's open, sure. Um, but that's still a position that I think the Timbers are, need to really look at in the offseason. They are going to go out, um, or they plan to, as I reported today, go out and sign a designated player in the offseason. Um, I think that will likely be a striker. Uh, and maybe that means there's more incentive to bring Lucas Milano back because he's another depth piece there. They don't necessarily need to go get somebody else if they're already planning on bringing in a designated player uh, at the striker position. Obviously, there's other positions they could look at there. I don't know like for right sure. Like right back? Probably not right back. Probably <laughs> somewhere in the midfield. So you're or... saying Gavin Wilkinson is not taking your advice on the right back thing? <laughs> I'm saying he's not signing a designated player right back. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but, That's probably a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he would be a GM much longer. I think he's a little bit smarter than that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think there's questions about Milano, but if the price is right and um, they they feel like there's a still spot on the roster for him, he's not taking someone else, some a spot they need to use for something else. I mean, he's already under contract. It makes sense. The fact that these players are under contract makes it a little bit more difficult to you know figure out something if they want to get rid of them. Of course, there are options. There's loans and there are trades and... Um, there, there are options if you just want to part ways with a player. Um, Ridgewell, I still really don't know. Uh, I, I think it, it's still, I, I'm just not sure. I, I think with the sort of the up and down of this year, the fact that he's had the injuries, he just hasn't been playing enough. I, I could really see 
Uh, Timber's moving on from him this offseason. He said there would be discussions mm-hmm. with, with Gio. He doesn't want to be on a team where he doesn't think he, he's going to be a central part of it and is going to be starting. I, I think it's clear that whatever differences Gio and him had were sort of worked out by the end of the year, and he was playing an important role. And that sort of makes it you know, more feasible um, that he's going to come out, come back. But I, I could also see them being thinking, you know, Tui Loma is our future. And we do want to start him a lot more next year. And Mabial is our second guy. And that not being a situation Ridgewell even wants to be in, in which case they might agree to mutually part ways. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying where the Timbers have to find a way to get rid of him, but they both just say this is not, we want, we want this contract um, to go away because this isn't the right option for either side. So I, I don't know. I'm almost on the side of less likely, uh, like, a little bit under 50% that Ridgewell is going to come back. I, I think it's possible, but but I think if I had to bet, I, I'd still think I'd say no. Yeah, and it also sounds like if you're forced to take a bet on the other side of that, you wouldn't be shocked if your money got, yeah. came back to you. So I I think it really is that close. And even from my point of view, I would I see it the same way. And it just really comes down to what's in Liam's heart, what's in Gio's heart about this. Gavin, of course, is going to have a determinative say about this, but it... It's so hard to um, it's so hard to forecast this without without knowing what those discussions are going to be because it really could be a situation where it's they sit down and go Liam you're clearly valuable to this team you're clearly valuable to this culture but Bill and Julio somebody you didn't mention are going to get time next year we got to find time for Mo Mojadama too maybe Bill plays more midfield next year so there's an open hole but like you're going to come back to an open competition and that's the way it is right now and Liam will go respect that. Can go other places and get playing time in my final days. Let's agree to part ways at this point. I don't know. That's pure speculation. But because those kind of scenarios are out there, if anybody says they know if Liam Ridgewell is coming back next year, don't trust him. <laughs> Do not trust him. There are three people that can say that. Well, maybe four if you count Merritt Paulson. But Gavin Wilkinson, Giovanni Savarese, and Liam Ridgewell at this point. Um, expansion draft is on Tuesday. That's why we're seeing all of this news today. Expansion draft is normally something that you have to fret about, but some news coming across the wires today that Portland might not be in danger of having some of their exposed players like Jeff Attenella and uh, Zarek Valentin out there. In um, I'm trying to remember. I'm not even sure if Attenella is available. Yeah, I think Zarek absolutely is. He is? Uh, yeah. well, why'd they resign him? <laughs> no, yeah, no, Zarek is. I don't know that Attenella is. I, I think he might be on the protected list, but... Yeah, um, the news reported by Caitlin Murray, and, and I, I've heard this as well, and that was my expectation going into this. So I, I think that's plenty of confirmation is that this was sort of part of the Audi deal, whether it was just sort of a handshake. I, I don't know that it was officially written in or anything, but um, the, the Timbers had, came to an agreement with Cincinnati that, that after taking Audi, they weren't going to pick someone else up in the expansion draft. What? So I think it's going to be a pretty... What kind of shell game is this? <laughs> I mean, I think there's been enough uh, stress, you know, for fans having to watch the MLS Cup and the the whole playoff run in general and some of those comebacks. There's been a lot of stress in the last few months, so this is probably a nice time for there not to be stressed for a day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. yeah. I, hey, Jeff, if you're listening, I just threw some names out there. I think it's because you came here in the last expansion, Jeff, you came to mind. I, I honestly haven't even checked. <laughs> to see uh, who's exposed and who's not exposed to expansion draft. And maybe that maybe that kind of confirmed the news. I don't know. Anyways, let's get to some more listener questions. Listener questions have kind of been driving the show to this point. Let's keep the listeners behind the wheel. Uh, Mark asked a question that we've already kind of touched on. What positions need new blood? Uh, you've identified the potential for an attacking designated player. You've already made your comments about right back, <laughs> fully known. So let's build off of there. Do you see any other positions of need within the team? I'll go ahead and confess I, I kind of don't. Yeah, I think it's just a question of sort of where the Timbers see some players ending up. And part of this, I think, is that these positional needs might end up becoming a positional need next year in the summer transfer window, not right now. There's positions like I I still think the Timbers need to look at what's their plan for Diego Char in the long run. Um, and I think Paredes coming in was sort of a young guy Wait a in midfield. You're getting greedy here again. Plan for Diego Chara in the long one. Let's talk about this for a second. Because, one, you're not going to go out and replace Diego Chara or yeah, Diego No, Blair, you're not. But, just like they couldn't but, replace Darlington. Okay, but I think this year you, you have to... Bringing in Paredes was sort of 
We're looking okay. at succession plans in this position. So there's one player. Okay. And so my point is that maybe they don't, maybe there isn't the need to go out in the offseason and get it. Oh, but then why am I interrupting if, you again? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but if, for example, Perez mm-hmm. uh, is not, I mean, we saw him in the beginning of the year getting a lot of playing time, showing well. If he's not still struggling to get playing time in the first half of next year, that's something you look at. That said, this guy's yeah. not, this guy's not the, uh, player that's going to come into this position and be um be a sort of part of our succession planning and that's the position we really have to focus on um and so i that's sort of more of where i'm at i mean maybe in attacking midfield too but i, I think ultimately the succession plan for diego Valeri is going to be going and buying a dp to replace diego Valeri when diego Valeri is no longer the player you want in that position i don't right. see that more as a development kind of over time Situation. Yeah, and it's hard to commit redundant resources to one position yeah. when that one of those positions is going to require you spend seven figures on salary, let alone a transfer fee. So that's a little bit more understandable. You kind of just have to do what you do. And we saw this year Sebastian Blanco playing a co-number ten at times, so that the team does have a backup plan on yeah. the roster. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I think we kind of learned that this year, though, which is why maybe I jumped in on this. Okay, how do we replace Darlington? You don't. You, you, you figure out a different solution. How do you replace a, Diego, replace a Diego Valeri? Like you were just talking about. You don't. You find a different solution. How do you replace a Diego Chara? That's, that's the end of an era in this club's book. Now, you look at the team. You've got a Christian Paredes, Renzo Zambrano. They're obviously high on. Bill Tuiloma can still play in midfield. Davi Guzman is still here. There's no lack of depth at that position. But when Diego Chara leaves, boy... Things are going to change beyond just going to find another player. So that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, other positions on the team that I think are interesting. I think right wing, we think Andy Polo clearly is the starter there. Uh, Andy Polo is a specific type of player. You see them going to Dyron Espria uh, late in games. Is Espria somebody that is you're going to bring back and just hand the same role next year? Is there going to be some competition there? Is Marvin Loria going to end up playing a bigger role next year? There are options there too, but I think the depth chart has to play out a little bit. And then as, as good as Jeremy Abobasi has been this year, and this is the heart of, I think, what you were talking about, right now the team is going into a depth, into the winter with a depth chart that is Abobasi, Milano, Langsdorf at forward. Yeah. Not a lot of I, history of scoring MLS goals there. Yeah, I, I, I think that's where they're going to put the designated player money. Um, I, I don't think... If Abobasi comes in as the number two and gets significant playing time, I mean, obviously that's that's a little bit disappointing given that you... You want to see him continue developing, and he was a starter this year. I, I just think in this playoff run, I, I mean, there there was some really good moments for him, and also there was some not so good moments. I, I don't know that he is the guy right now that you want to say, yeah, we, we're set it for it. I want to see them bring in another forward, and if they have the designated player spot open. Timbers, like we were talking about, they have to continue getting better and better to compete with other teams in the league. They obviously want to bring players forward that are younger and they don't want to, you know, put them so far down the depth chart that they don't get their opportunities. But they need to continue to get better if they want to get back to the same spot. And I think that's a position that they can easily immediately get better and potentially bring in a big time goal scorer yeah um part of matt's question here is or not matt's question just a follow-up we have in the notes are there players that could still leave that we don't yet know about oh yes and i don't even i'm not even saying this regarding particular players welcome to the mls offseason everybody i mean who would have predicted this time last year that darlington nagby would be traded yeah, and I think that's part of, in terms of when we're saying, well, I'm not sure what the positional needs are right now. We, we have to see how things shake out a little bit. I, I mean, if Liam Ridgewell does leave, you know, do they do they feel like they have completely enough depth at center back? Is there one more player they want to bring in? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe there is enough depth there. But um, is Espria, is Guzman definitely coming back? Could things play out there? I, I mean, or maybe these players that are sort of on the cusp. I don't know. And so I think part of the positional needs will be determined to some degree on what they, their plans are for some of these players that are under contract, um, but that may, they might be thinking in their minds that my, our plan is to trade this guy or do something else um, here. And that's sort of dictating their other plans and positional needs. Absolutely. Let's move on to the next question. Andrew asks, does Caleb Porter take this team to MLS Cup? It's an interesting, interesting thought experiment. I think your reaction and my reaction are both the same. Uh, you want to go ahead and do yours first? <laughs> Let's have the independent journalist say it. No, I, I don't know. 
Uh, I don't have a good answer for that. I think it's a different season, and, and maybe not. Um, maybe that's not doesn't doesn't say something about Caleb, but stars really have to align for any uh, team to make it to MLS Cup. And this wasn't just um, about the talent on the team and how well they were able to do during the year, but um, also coming together at the exact right time and going to the playoffs and, and having these just very amazing games and magical run. Um, I, I think with Caleb Porter, it might not have taken as long for, for them to, to start the season off. They, there, there might've been, I mean, having the same coach there, there might've been a bit more consistency at points in the year, but they would have played differently too. Um, do they get a three zero win versus New York city FC in, in April, unless they play the formation that Giovanni Savarasi oh, came up with things like things like that. Um, I don't know. Um, but do they, does being in the four two three one end up working? Does, does, does going back to that well, way earlier uh, yeah. end up being something that's really good for the season? It, it's really hard to tell. They, they would have coached this very differently. Um, and I, I think it's tough for any coach to make it to MLS Cup, but I don't think that Caleb Porter necessarily would not have taken this team to MLS Cup. I, I just don't think we know. Yeah. I don't want to disrespect Caleb or Gio by saying that Caleb would or wouldn't have. Uh, or Gio doesn't necessarily win that game under the other circumstances, too. I, I can't spend five minutes at the beginning of the show saying that the gap between these teams isn't that big and then moving it to another venue would have like changed things a little bit and then t- come here and go, but t- Caleb Porter definitely it would have been so different under him. I mean, I, I'm more interested in other people's takes on this because my take is just similar to yours. I don't know. can probably make a case either way. But making that case alone is disrespectful, I think. Not disrespectful, but in making it, you risk disrespecting both Caleb and Giovanni Savarese. I think one thing, like, at this point, it's just very, very hard to say anything that at all impeaches Giovanni Savarese because none of us expected this team to be here three months ago, and they got here. And I think you from covering the team and me from being the team, being with the team know that uh, Giovanni Savarese was incredibly important to that. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Karen, do you think a neutral field makes more sense after witnessing the final this year? So this is a twist on what we've been talking about. We think it would have made a difference in the game, but does it make more sense as a policy for the league to pursue that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of issues uh, in terms of, obviously, we were talking about the ticket allotment for away fans. I think some of the fans had some issues bringing drums in, things like that. There was definitely a sense that a lot of the members of the Timbers Army and the Timbers fans that traveled weren't really happy with the experience. Now, do they need to be happy? I, I, it's the, the home Ooh, team's supposed to have an advantage. That's a good I mean, I question, think... Jamie Goldberg. <laughs> Jamie B. Goldberg has written in asking, no, do, does, I... does the Timbers Army need to be happy? <laughs> that's not what I meant. It but... makes my life easier if they are. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, they, you know, that was kind of what you were hearing from Atlanta fans. Well, go go get home field advantage if you, if you yeah, don't want whatever. to have uh, that. So there, there were sides that... I, I think that neutral site um, would would be better in, in many ways, but but obvious. I think this was a good MLS Cup. I think the the league sort of lucked out that it was Atlanta yep. um, in terms of the showcase they were going to get. That was an incredible crowd. Um, I, I think obviously there's ways that the visiting supporters were not happy with some of the rules around this and how they played out, um, and I think that's fair. Um, but I think this was a great showcase for the league. I also think that had it ended up being somewhere else that doesn't get as much support, um, if FC Dallas had made a run to MLS Cup and ended up hosting, that's not really where I would want MLS Cup to be. Yep. Um, so I think more for th- that reason, I, I sort of stick with my opinion that I do think a neutral site's better because I think you can pick and choose the best sites in Major League Soccer to showcase. Hmm. Um, but I don't necessarily think that after witnessing this that I that I that it necessarily changed my mind too much yeah I like that nuance it's like I think a neutral site would be better but not because Atlanta had an advantage it's just because of other factors Um, I have having been to enough neutral site uh, MLS Cup finals um, I'm still okay with the neutral site but what I would the, the main problem I have sorry for the stammering the main problem I have with the current setup is that with an unbalanced schedule, it doesn't make it fair to go merely off record. So what I would like to do is just have 
it be hosted by an Eastern Conference team one year, Western Conference team the next year. Yeah, I mean, maybe that leaves an element out of your control that you could be the best team in this league and still have to go on the road. But at least it's consistent in that regard. Um, much like, you know, the World Series used to be that way. Maybe it still is. I don't know. But the World Series used to alternate between the two because the leagues so, would never play each so other. So the World Series now is based on the All-Star game. Yeah, that's crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, it used to be that way because the National League and American League didn't play each other. I just think unless you're going to have a balanced schedule, it's no, you really can't tell which team had the stronger regular seasons. Giving somebody the supporter shield for the accomplishment is fine to me, but I just think that alternating between East and West is what I would do. I think that's slightly better than the neutral field scenario, but if you aren't going to alternate between East and West, I definitely would go with the neutral field scenario at that point. Going to the next question. Oh, a name we haven't heard on this podcast in a while. Not Logan's. Logan gave us this question. But it looks like Eric Williamson is back with the team. Any news on his contract or future with the club? So Eric Williamson is back with the team on two levels. He did fly in for MLS Cup for a little bit. It was awesome to see Eric and talk to him for a little bit. But come next month when his loan expires in Portugal, the team has already announced that they're going to bring, be bringing him back. Uh, any news on his contract? Um, no, but... That's because his contract hasn't changed. And on the future, his future with the club. Now, this is, I want to hear your view on this, Jamie, because my view is that Eric's loan didn't change either his future with the club or what the club really thought about him. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that his loan didn't, wasn't so, didn't go as well necessarily as, it didn't go so well that they say, wow, that was perfect. We now know he's the player we need. He's made so much growth. Um, there's nothing about the loan that makes me think that there, there may be, at a better position in their opinion of him now uh, than they were before but I, I don't think they're at necessarily a worse position I, I think that he's going to come back he's going to have a chance to compete they're going to have a look at him in preseason and decide what where they want him do, does that mean they feel like he needs to go on another loan does that mean that they've seen the improvements they need because the club was really high on on Eric Williamson so have they seen the improvements they need to say yeah he, he can actually compete for first team minutes this year I, I think it's going to be sort of determined in preseason I, I don't think the loan from from everything i've heard about it has changed really the, the situation he's in i'm gonna leave it at that because my thoughts on this are more personal than anything else like look if you watch t2 this year you know what eric williamson can do you also know that the timbers depth is a major obstacle for people like him and jeremy abobasi and foster langsdorf to fight through and it's an obstacle not a lot of young players have to deal with in other places so i'm looking forward to eric being back he is a loved and respected part of the team and uh it's going to be good to have him around uh, come preseason heath we already touched on your uh, question a little bit he asked uh, where could the timbers look for reliable goal scoring forward uh, t2 within mls abroad i'm just going to say the same thing as jamie that this is a premium position and you gotta look for premium yeah. options uh, michael asks what's mcintosh future with the timbers gleason is a free agent but the timbers are in discussion to bring clark back and i I'll go ahead and admit, this is the most intriguing thing for me because Kendall McIntosh could have been out of contract. They picked up his option with good reason if you watch T2, but they're also negotiating with Steve Clark. So, Jamie Goldberg, what's your read on the situation? Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen Kendall McIntosh show really well at T2, but the club hasn't come to the point where they've really wanted him to be consistent number two yet. And I think that is just what we've seen. Maybe... They want to bring Clark back, but this is something where they hope that McIntosh will grow into that number two role as the year goes on, and and maybe they'll make a move later on. Um, But right now it seems that they do think there is, uh, you know, he's a little bit behind, say, Adonella and Clark, and that's what we saw this year. I I think they are high on him. They've talked – he's obviously kept him around, and and I think he's shown a lot at T2. Um, but, you know, as Sarvesti said, you know, in terms of when he was talking about Langsdorf and, and stuff, it's not necessarily as clear to us from the outside, oh, this player is doing really well at T2, therefore they are, should be getting opportunities at the first team. It, it's not that simple. I completely agree with you. Let's go to Damiego's question. Damiego, thank you for giving us question two weeks in a row. I remember your name because it took us a week to process how to pronounce it. Uh, I was in the same boat as Jamie last week and only have now had time to think about it. But Damiego asks, if the 2019 season started tomorrow with no changes across the league, where do the Timbers finish? So refresher, everybody, they finished fifth in the Western Conference this year. Uh, I think the context of this question, Jamie, is how many of the problems that they went through this year problems is a weird word challenges that are incorporated with roster turnover change of coach uh how many of those get alleviated allowing the timbers to 
perform better over 34 games than they did this season. Yeah, I, I think they finish a, a bit higher in the conference. I don't think they are a contender for the Supporters' Shield. I, I think, like I said, that Atlanta was on another level, and clearly New York uh, was on another level when it came to finding ways to get points in the regular season. Um, but I, I think the Timbers, uh, you know, maybe finish second or third in the West. I think in this scenario that Damiego describes, throw Kansas City, Seattle, Timbers in a bag at that point. I think even the front offices from those teams probably like their team most, but say, hey, look out for Seattle and Kansas City. Uh, LAFC had a really good year. They're going to be going into a second-year project, which is a lot different than a first. They could get into that bag, um, but I think we're seeing Dallas having to go through a regroup here. RSL went through points this year where they didn't look too good, and the rest of the Western Conference, I think, has significant questions. And I think um, any of those teams, to be quite honest with you, uh, with different luck, Seattle lost Jordan Morris this year. If they didn't lose him, are they competing for the Supporters' Shield? Uh, same thing with Portland. If Portland if Portland has this group together all year and doesn't have a roster at the beginning of the year that has uh, Fernando Adi at the top of its striker depth chart, are they competing for a Supporters' Shield? And then Sporting has, you know, you look at that team and maybe I've looked at it too much because I had to break down film on them. But like when you have young talents like Daniel Shalloway and he's just coming into his own, uh, but they also have an older group too, there too. Uh, it's not impossible to see them putting together a season where they could compete for the supporter shield. But I think I generally agree with you that the Timbers aren't the best in the conference, but they're, they're really competitive right there. Or maybe, yeah, maybe they are the best in conference. I don't know, but they're, like I said, throw the three teams in a bag. All right, my stammering is done. Let's transition into your favorite part of the show, uh, the Chris Reifer, Chris Reifer Memorial <laughs> Hot Take interlude. Uh, this is the point of the show where we say something that's not controversial, but we say it with passion. <laughs> so, JP, go ahead and do that. That is a good way of putting it. Sometimes it's controversial. Not today. I don't. Well, actually, I don't know if people care about this as much as I do, but... I think there should be at least a one-week gap between between when the season ends, um, so when MLS Cup happens, and when teams start making roster announcements. I, I mean, I guess the teams that aren't in MLS Cup can make them earlier, but for the teams that are in MLS Cup, I don't think there should be this requirement that that they release all the information a day or two after the game, and then all the off-season stuff starts. I think MLS should figure out a way to have all these off-season dates officially start a week later after MLS Cup so that you can sort of process the game and not immediately say, oh, it's off-season time. I mean, it's almost so hard from obviously a journalism perspective to sort of look back on the season and, and sort of do the analysis there because it's a day, two days after MLS Cup, you're talking about all the players that are gone. So I really hate that part of MLS. I hated it in 2015 when there was a parade going down Broadway and, and I was sitting there on my laptop breaking the news. Um, or I think actually Grant Wall broke it, but... Um, putting up the news that Jorge Villafania w- was on his way out. Uh, that was just just disappointing to do as, as the parade was coming down. So um, I really wish MLS would rethink their off-season dates. Okay. Um, my hot take has already been said on the show. I really, really hate the idea that we as a sports culture are okay in soccer and in every sport with game to be- game officiating being so different. Even within the game, it changed on Saturday. And I am i guess on one hand, I'm not saying that one way is right or another, but if we have to decide on a way that's right, and people generally want officials to be right, we should be calling the rules as is. I hate this idea that like, well, come the postseason, though, that person's not going to get away with that. Then don't let them get away with it during the regular season either, because one of the worst conversations that I ever get pulled into is trying to tell people that a referee's decision is right or wrong. Because... Under our current standard, there is no standard. All the referee has to do is be consistent, and as, as long as you do that, you're fine. And I always used to get frustrated most with Silvio Petrescu. Do you remember him as a referee? Every time Silvio Petrescu refereed a game, there was a risk of a major injury because he would always let people go. And you could, for me, I don't want that. I want a skilled game when I'm watching soccer. I don't want to, somebody's blood and guts to end up all over somebody else's blood and guts. I'm not into that. I want great players to be able to do great things. Part of the reason I love NBA basketball so much right now, they realize that like, hey, let Steph Curry be Steph Curry. Let all these players be that. So when I talk about Saturday's game, I'm not going to tell you that the foul on Larry Malbiala was a good call or a bad call. I'm going to have a problem with the fact that it was a different call than what happened in the first half. And we need to get rid of a world where there are different calls. All right. Yeah, I am on board with that. 
Oh, I feel bad because I disagreed with your take. You're allowed to disagree with mine. Did you disagree with my take? You just moved on. Oh, I didn't. So, yeah. Did you want to say how you disagree with my take? Um, do I? Yeah. Do This is like asking me if I want to stick my head in pork chop's mouth. <laughs> not, not particularly. Um, I don't disagree with your take. That was an exaggeration. I just don't care. I just want to get through this as quickly as possible. I realize it makes it more difficult for people like you to cover the news because you're having to just hammer out articles. And I just, to me, I'm generally not as interested in stuff that happens off the field that happens on. So I'm just like, okay, let's just tell me already who's going to be here and who's not. And let's move on with our lives. So I'm, Jamie, I'm sorry. I said, I disagree. <laughs> uh, you don't have to disagree with me. That's the fun of this. Yeah. Supposedly the fun of this uh, segment. Yeah. Even though I agreed with you. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is when I said, I disagree, I lied to you. So take back my apology, issue a new one. Jamie, I'm sorry. I lied to you. All right. <laughs> well, that's a way to end the timber season talk. Um, do we have anything to say about Thorns? We got a question we, on if we have any news on contracts, new players, et cetera. I don't have any. I, I think it's no. just quiet. All that right news now. already got announced. So yeah. I mean, I think things can still happen, but I think at, at this point, the likelihood is they're going to happen next year ahead of preseason, not. Yeah, yeah, wait for the draft. Yeah. Once the teams start to get together in Chicago this year, you'll start to see some trades happen. Uh, of course, teams are talking to each other about potential trades, but um, the only news is that Caitlin Ford had another multi goal this week, weekend, this weekend in Australia. So she's clearly. I don't know if she's NWSL back because you have heard players say that the W League is at a different level yeah, at the NWSL, but it is good to see Caitlin Ford performing. And then some news from last week that the U.S. Women's National Team is going to have a very ambitious spring <laughs> calendar. There are games every month in and out of windows in sets of twos. I, I believe they announced, excuse me for not having the number right to my mind, a seven-game schedule ahead of the World Cup that's going to take players away, like I said, every month. Jamie... I cannot imagine that you're happy about this. Yeah, no, I, I just, I, 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 there has to be a better way for the national team to work with the NWSL. There, there just has to be. I, I, I think. I mean, the national team gets priority in the World Cup year. They need to, they need to prepare. That, that's understandable. Um, but it, it just seemed they're just not going to see the national team players next year in the NWSL. There has to be a better way to make this work. And um, I, I don't think where we're at right now with what the schedule is going to look like next year and what the women's national team schedule is going to look like it is, is going to work all that well. National team players are going to be gone a lot. There, there's not going to be a lot of Tobin Heath and Lindsay Horan playing for the Thorns next year and Emily Sonnen and potentially Adriana France. Probably at this point. I mean, they yeah. take three goalkeepers. Yeah, so, so probably even though, as we said, she might not play, she probably won't get to play for any team. Yeah. It was kind of cool this weekend being able to talk to AD. AD yeah, was it was. In, it was really cool. Yeah. AD was in uh, Atlanta doing some stuff for social media for the, the Timbers. Uh, it was cool to see her, see how excited she was to be there, get an update on her uh, active offseason, more active than usual because she is now, uh, I guess, fully part of the national team setup because even when... Uh, during World Cup qualifying when they had an 18-person roster, she was still there with the team. So she's been with the team uh, <laughs> and still doesn't have her cap. Yeah, I think you underestimated it. I'm, I'm counting 10 games uh, yes. before the World Cup, not eight. <laughs> yeah, I think I even said seven. So you're yeah, giving so, me credit. Yeah, for so... Yeah, and so, but maybe it's like something like seven in season because some of those extend back yeah, to January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, some of them are in January. But it's, fair. I mean, it's, it is really frustrating. I think... Um, I think nobody who follows me on social media is going to be surprised here. I am an NWSL advocate first. I think the level of play in the NWSL is a lot better. I think the national team would be better if they kept these players with their NWSL teams until two or three weeks before the World Cup, bring them into camp, get them together. Look, none of these players lack familiarity playing with each other at this point. But uh, this is an opportunity for the national team on multiple levels. And uh, they are going to exercise that opportunity. And I'm sure there will be opportunities exercised after the World Cup, too. Well, no, on that note. <laughs> nope, nope, my tone will change. Yeah. Take us out, Jamie. Uh, all right. As we said at the beginning of the podcast, we won't be back next week. Uh, we won't be back the week after. This is probably our last podcast for December. But we will be back before the start of the regular season, before the start of preseason, too. We'll, we'll have um, a few podcasts, maybe. Uh, before we get going with preseason uh but it won't be as regular so uh <laughs> we'll let you know if we're, we're about to drop a new podcast but thanks for listening everyone this year um we are soccer made in portland you can find us every week on oregon live sometime footy and timbers.com you can also subscribe on itunes and 
Stitcher. And until next time we record, <laughs> take care. <laughs> <laughs>